Thank you for downloading this podcast from Awakening Church. We'll wait till after everybody gives to make a joke about Kentucky beating Louisville, so. I'm just playing. I did it right there, didn't I? You know, I used to start out every sermon after that game when Kentucky would win with uh, yesterday was the ultimate battle of good and evil and good won, but I hope everyone had an amazing Christmas. It's so good to see Lexi Mullins here with us too, all the way from Redding, California. That's awesome. We're so glad that you're here. And uh, so excited that you got to come in for some of the holidays. We miss you, and uh, we're going to be sad when they all go back. My boys go back on Saturday, and I think you go back next week sometime. So anyway, we're so glad you're here, and uh, just thankful. I hope, trust that everybody had an amazing Christmas. I know that we did. Had a great time together, hanging out. Yeah, so it's been so good. Uh, go with me in your Bibles to the book of John. I'm going to jump right back into this uh, born again thing, being reborn. I mentioned this briefly last week, and um, I think in the weeks to come we'll, we'll talk about this a little more, but I'm, I'm, I'm reading the Bible with a completely different lens. I'm reading the Bible not with a lens of justice and everyone has to pay for what they did, but I'm reading it with a lens of righteousness and that that is attainable uh, through our union with Jesus. And so really just, uh, and, and, you know, I know we've been talking about a lot of the same things for a while. And, uh, you know, fortunately for me, I've just been set free from the idea of having to try to blow your mind with some new revelation every week. And uh, I think it's imperative that we we get and understand what it is that the Lord is is saying to us in this moment. Um, you've heard me say this a lot. The, the thing that separated John the Baptist from every person who ever lived, because I, Jesus said there's never been a man born of woman greater than John the Baptist, right? That's what the word says. And what I believe separated him is that he was able in the moment to look and see Jesus and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the earth. Everyone who had come before him said, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. The prophets, the Pharisees, he's coming. But John was able to fix his eyes and see him and say, hey, this is it. This is the transition. This is what's going on. And so it's imperative for us to understand. And I feel that right there. Do you feel that? Jesus, thank you, Lord. I just felt the fear of the Lord come in on that. It's so important that we understand. It's so important that we grasp the moment that we are in so that we do not become a part of all of those who have gone before us who said it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. See, as Pentecostals, we're really good about that. We're really good about saying, hey, there's something coming. There's a move coming. There's a move coming. What about when it's time for us to step up and become the move that is now right? Now listen, I know we're in here and our, our, our music's a little more chill, but it's okay. Talk back to me, okay? It's all right. I, I still have a, a kick in me every once in a while, so I need a little help. Get that out. And I'm just playing. I really don't need any help getting it out. <laughs> but I do need you to talk to me. So I want us to understand the moment that we're in. Um, this backdrop of Nicodemus coming to Jesus and asking him about being born again and, and all of the questions that Nicodemus answered, um, man, I used to want to be the guy who was like, can you imagine that Nicodemus could not understand what Jesus was saying? Can you imagine these Pharisees? And so since I've been studying a little more, I'm like, man, I'm Nicodemus. And I feel like, feel like I've been a Pharisee for a lot of my life. And I don't, I don't want that. I want to break with that. And, uh, so Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and, and he's breaking some stuff down. And um, I, 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 I'm going to focus on um, John chapter 3, verse 12. I'm going to read it all, really, though. Um, where will I read this? Yeah, I'll probably start at verse 1 and just read to verse 13 in a moment. Um, 
but I want to focus on verse 12 because I believe that there's some language in there that the Lord is wanting to highlight to us. So I'm going to give you some time to load up John 3, 1 through 13. Are you good? You already ready to go? Look at him. He's awesome. So good. Um, yeah. Let's pray. Can we pray? Father, we love you. We're so grateful for you. We're grateful for your presence. We're grateful for your word. So thankful for all that you do for us. God, I just ask that you would come and grace us today with ears to hear. You would give us ears to hear exactly what it is that you want us to hear and let us know exactly what it is, what you want us to do with what you're saying. God, I'm asking that you would open our eyes and let us see through the righteousness of Jesus. I'm asking that you would break down walls, that you would tear down ideologies that are not of you. God, I'm asking today that you would just open our hearts and let us see you for who you are. Let us see the goodness of who you are in these moments. Asking you today, open our eyes to see you well. Open our eyes to see you well. Open our ears and open our eyes. We've had lots of open mouths, but I'm asking for open ears and open eyes. Ears and eyes to hear and to see what you're doing. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name. Jesus, I feel you. John chapter 3, verse 1 in the Passion Translation. Now, there was a prominent religious leader among the Jews named Nicodemus who was part of the sect called the Pharisees and a member of the Jewish ruling council. One night he discreetly came to Jesus and said, Master, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one performs the miracle signs that you do unless God's power is with him. Jesus answered Nicodemus, Listen to this eternal truth. Before a person can perceive God's kingdom realm, they must first experience a rebirth. I really want you to listen to that. Before a person can experience God's kingdom realm, they must first experience a rebirth. One of the things that I think has been an issue in the church is we've wanted people to experience church and our programs and not the kingdom realm, which requires an absolute rebirth. Nicodemus said, rebirth? How can a gray-headed man be reborn? It's impossible for a man to go into the womb a second time and be reborn. Jesus answered, I speak in eternal truth. Unless you are born of water and spirit, you will never enter God's kingdom realm. For the natural realm can only give birth to things that are natural, but the spiritual realm gives birth to the supernatural life. You shouldn't be amazed by my statement. You all must be born from above. For the spirit wind blows as it chooses. You can hear its sound, but you don't know where it came from or where it's going. So it is within the hearts of those who are spirit born. So Jesus just spent a whole lot of time explaining a whole lot of stuff right there, right? I love Nicodemus' reply. <laughs> then Nicodemus replied, but I don't understand. <laughs> he just had this old discourse, but I, I still don't get it. What do you mean? How does this happen? Jesus answered Nicodemus, aren't you the respected teacher in Israel? And yet you don't understand this revelation. I speak eternal truths about things I know, things I've seen and experienced, and still you don't accept what I reveal. If you're unable to understand, this is where we're going to hang our hat today. If you're unable to understand and believe what I've told you about the natural realm, what will you do when I begin to unveil the heavenly realm? No one has risen into the heavenly realm except the Son of Man who also exists in heaven. Now, it's amazing to me that Jesus says, what are you going to do when I begin to unveil the heavenly realm? And then he says this wild phrase like, nobody exists in heaven except for the Son of Man, and I'm there right now as well. That's what that scripture means. I'm here and I'm there. I'm here, and I'm there. And, and so 
he moves on to another subject. And he starts talking about the brass serpent being raised up, and he's talking about his crucifixion, right? Because I feel like Jesus, and if he didn't do this, just just humor me. I feel like he was like, oh, let me just move on. <laughs> let me let me just move on. Uh, and and so uh, some some really really important things that that he's saying right there. Um, what are you going to do when I begin to unveil the heavenly realm? And then he says this crazy thing, like, cause I'm here and I'm there and, but we're here. I don't know. It's how I read the Bible. It's just weird. Okay. I, I, I want to ask a couple of questions today. What does it mean to be formless? What does it mean to be formless? I believe that this is the question we must ask ourselves in our journey to original intent. In the beginning, the earth was without form and void. This was the canvas that God chose to use for creation. He did not choose, watch this, he did not choose an environment that was already existing and attempt to improve on it. He did not choose an existing environment and attempt to improve on that environment. He chose formless and void. It was from this backdrop that he created Adam with the sole purpose of communion and family. That is original intent. Communion and family. That is original intent. We, we talked about this some a couple of weeks ago when I spoke that, that when, when we talk about rebirth, and, and I'm talking about formlessness, and, and I'm going to get in there, and hopefully you'll trust me to bring this together. We talked a few weeks ago about what it means, that rebirth, it means to be born from above, or the Aramaic literally means born from the origin, from the origin, original intent. And, and the implication, in, when, when Jesus is using this, this verbiage here, the implication is this, that to be born again is to be born like Adam was born with the direct breath of God. To be born like Adam was born with the direct breath of God. And, and if we are going to focus on our Adam nature, we talked about this a little bit, and because we do, we focus so much on our fallen nature and not the resurrected nature of Jesus Christ, and, and, and that's where we're going. But if, if we're going to focus on our Adam nature, why not focus on original intent? You cannot start at depravity. You cannot start at the fall of man and see the goodness of God studying the fall of man that that that's not what what happens adam was never born into sin adam was not born into sin we were born into sin but adam was not born into sin he was born from the direct breath of god and so what Jesus is telling Nicodemus is, I want you to, to understand that the religious rigor and activity and everything that you're involved in is really doing no good. You need to be born from the direct breath of God. And I can explain that to you. I, I, can, I can walk you through that, but you're going to have to get on the same page as me. This, this is really what Jesus is saying. And, and, and so what, what happens is we spend a lot of our lives, even those of us, let me just say me, even me who has been in church my whole life believing, hey, I'm born again, I'm born again, what I, what I feel and what I, what I am fearful of is that I have lived my life believing I was born again into managed depravity and not a brand new life. That we spend a lot of our time trying to manage the sin nature and keep it down so that we can attempt to maybe get the scorecard right and be pleasing to Jesus. But I want to tell you, the gospel is not that he died so that you could manage your fleshly nature. The gospel is that he died so that that sin nature could completely be eradicated and I would not have to focus on my former sin nature because he has set me free. Do you understand? I'm getting ahead. One of the difficulties, one of the difficulties that the Pharisees had, and listen, guys, I'm just reading you my notes because this is how it's coming to me. One of the difficulties that the Pharisees had, and if I am honest, that I still have, is that the idea that God sent Jesus in the form of man to repair a broken system. 
He did not send Jesus to repair a broken system. He sent him with a brand new strategy of the kingdom that was nothing like the religious system that they were living in. But I still struggle to think that what he wants to do is just to improve upon my fallen nature. That is not rebirth. That is not the gospel, and that is not the experience that he wants. When God got ready to build something in the Bible, he did not leave the development of the plans to man. He did not leave the development of the plans to man. He left the execution of the plans to man, but the development came from him. You look at both arcs that were built, Noah's and the Ark of the Covenant. He gave specific instructions and said, if I am going to fill this thing, you're going to have to build it to my specifications. And what I believe has happened, and some of this is review, but what I believe has happened in the church is we decided to start building things and then ask God to come and fill what we had built so that he could improve upon what it was that we had already crafted when we didn't really follow the exact specifications, right? And so he only left the execution of those plans to man. He was not going to come and fill something that was not built to his specification. Now, Jesus shows up and begins to preach the kingdom, and because it is so foreign to what the Pharisees knew and what they had been operating in, they attempt to put it in a box that they can understand. That's why all the way up to his ascension, they're still asking him, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom? Because they thought what he was coming for was to improve upon what they were dealing with, to improve upon the system that they were engaged in. So they try to put it in a box they can understand. So it must be that Jesus is going to come improve upon this religious system, and that's why in the, in the night, because he, he can't come talk to Jesus during the day because he knows they'll be after him, right? So Nicodemus wants to set up a meeting at night. Let's, let, let's talk where nobody can see me because I, I want you to ask some of these questions. And so I, I know that you're a teacher from God because of, of the signs and the wonders that you're doing, but, but help me out. How does this, how does this help me? And, and Jesus begins to talk to him. He says, listen, you have to be reborn. You have to have a rebirth experience. I can't understand that. How can I have a rebirth experience? I can't get back into my mother's womb. He says, you have to be born of spirit and water. Now, this is really interesting. Jesus is prophesying of the Holy Spirit, and he's also, when he talks about water right there, and I was going to talk about this. I'm just going to hit this and, and move on, okay? But I know some of y'all really, really love the Bible, right? You're Bible nerds. And so I want you to understand what he's talking about. When he's talking about spirit and water, he's referencing John's baptism. Everybody know that John has a baptism. You understand the Bible says there's a doctrine of baptisms. It's not just one, okay? It's not just that I was baptized in water and, you know, I mean, if, if that's the case, then we would never be baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? So there's a doctrine of baptisms. Jesus is specifically talking about John's baptism. John's baptism is what was called a proselyte baptism or a preparatory, I'm sorry, it was a preparatory baptism. There was a proselyte baptism, which Gentiles would go through to come into Judaism, right? So this guy would know all of that. He would know everything about that. And so he says, you have to be born of spirit and water. So John's baptism was a baptism of preparation for what was to come. Okay? Are y'all okay? I, I know this kind of may be like a theology course, but I, I, I'm going somewhere, I promise. He's, he's talking to them about things that they should know, and he's comparing it to natural things. Okay? I want you to hear that part. He's comparing it to natural things. And it was because of his, his thinking that Jesus was coming to improve a system, that, that, that Jesus was really there to affirm their idea of Judaism. Ultimately, that's what it was. I, I know none of us do that. None of us expect Jesus to come and affirm our behaviors and the things that we do, right? But back in the day, back in the day, the Pharisees were waiting on him to come and affirm their ideas about Judaism. And so what happened is it caused them not to be able to see Jesus correctly or to understand the kingdom. You remember, he said, you're so smart. He said, you know when to sail. You know if it's a, a bright sky in the morning, it's good to sail. If not, you, you, know, um, you, you know all of these things, but you can't see what's standing right in front of you, right? They couldn't see him clearly. Here's why. Preoccupation prevents insight. 
Preoccupation prevents insight. When you are preoccupied with your thoughts and you already know what you know, it prevents you from seeing something brand new. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Rick Curry says it like this. He said, you can't unknow what you already know. Because once you know something, you have it down on the inside of you, then it's very difficult to see an adjustment. And that's why they expected that Jesus was going to improve upon the system. So preoccupation prevents insight. Literally, literally, this is, this is what one of the commentaries said, that literally one must often empty his mind to receive new truth. You must empty your mind to receive new truth. Do you know that one of the, the greatest weapon, I'm going to say the greatest weapon that the enemy uses is deception? You understand that's why Eve took the apple, right? It was dece- She went out murdering people. She went out lying about people. He deceived her to have an incorrect perspective of who God was. Take this. He doesn't want you to be like him. It's okay for you to eat it. He doesn't want you to be like him. The problem is Eve did not have correct revelation that she was already like him because she was made in his image. And and, and so he uses deception. Here's the problem with deception. People who are deceived believe that it is truth. People who are living in a place of deception believe that it is truth. That's why the enemy wants to isolate people. He wants to get you alone. He wants to put this. That's why when Goliath came out, he said, send one man out here. I don't want the army. I want one man because if I can isolate one man, I think I can beat them. The problem is he found someone who had a different perspective of who God was because they spent a life of devotion on the backside of a desert, spending time with Jesus alone, and he goes out and handles the issue. But the enemy wants to isolate you so that he can implant these ideas of deception on the inside so that you begin to believe that's true. How do you know that? Do you believe God as father or do you believe him as judge? The religious person would say, well, he's both. He's both, but how do you live your life? Do you live your life like he's your father or do you live your life like he's a judge waiting to get you? Maybe you didn't, but I have spent most of my life living like he was a judge waiting for me to step out of line so that he could put me in contempt of court or smack my hand or, or whatever you want to say. And I'm learning that I had a, a, a misidentified perspective of who the father was because there were seeds of deception that were placed on the inside of me that I believed were truth. Preoccupation prevents insight. Literally, one must often empty his mind to receive new truth. Nicodemus only knew what he knew and could not wrap his mind around the fact that Jesus, watch this, was removing every opportunity for works-based salvation. He was removing every opportunity for works-based salvation. This was so difficult because Jesus did not come to improve a broken system, but he came to introduce, and this is, this is wording that I really want you to get into your spirit, a more excellent way. A more excellent way. And I'm finding that as I encounter the Father, as I encounter his word, as I encounter his spirit, that there is a more excellent way. Watch this. I'm not in condemnation because I'm just now realizing this. I am in thanksgiving because I've been walking with him my whole life, and now here's another facet that I get to see of him that I did not see before. Come on, I want you to understand that, that when, when, when God told Moses, I want you to go and I want you to tell Pharaoh that I am has sent you, what he's doing is writing a blank check. He's saying, I want you to go tell him that I am, and you understand that I am whatever it is that you need. Come on, man. Do, do, do y'all understand that? that? That whatever it is that you need, that's what you fill in the blank. Because sometimes I need him as provider, but sometimes I need him as healer. Sometimes I need him as father, and, and sometimes I need him as my defense. You, you understand what I'm saying? And so, so Jesus is coming to show us a more excellent way. So it is true. God didn't come to create a new, uh, uh, an improved environment. He came to create something new, right? Jesus did not come to improve upon a broken system. He came to bring a new system, the kingdom. Are you with me? 
So it is true in being reborn. Real born again encounter is not to improve upon fallen humanity. It's not what it's for. So that we better manage our sin nature. Rebirth is to completely replace the DNA of depravity with the DNA of original intent, which is I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Come on, I want you all to hear that today. I I want you to get that deep on the inside of you. You do not encounter the loving father You do not encounter this man Jesus and it just bring a little bit of improvement to your fallen nature. If that were the case, it would be a mean trick for God to say that his blood could cover everything. But I have spent so much of my life believing that I had to manage this sin nature just a little bit better so that I could get closer to him, not understanding that the gospel that Jesus came to preach is that I don't have to manage that sin nature, but it can be completely ripped out of me and we can get back to original intent, which is family and communion. God gives us very specific wording through the Apostle Paul and through many other writers in the New Testament that all things have become new. I'm not who I used to be. You once were foreigners, but now you're not. You're brought in, right? We understand that language. If that is the case, why? Why do we have this idea that when God looks at me, he just looks on improved, fallen Adam. That is not what the Bible says. It says that he looks at me through the lens of his son, Jesus Christ. Guys, I'm telling you, this is so important, and and, and I know that we've been on it for weeks and weeks and weeks, but he's trying to teach us something about justification that moves us into righteousness, that moves us into inheritance, that ultimately brings us into dominion, which is what we were supposed to do. Listen, can I, can I mess with y'all? Just like Noah did not have to go out and get the animals to come to the ark, God said, I'll send them to you, right? Have you ever seen polar bears in Palestine, right? Not there. He said, I'll send them to you. The same thing, it was a picture of dominion. It was what was lost in Adam. And he says, I'm going to end this and restore a new culture through you and your family. Because Adam did not have to go out of the garden to find the animals to name them. It was dominion that he walked in. Come on, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to let us understand that we've built this idea that we have to work and strive for everything. I really mess with you. In the kingdom, it's not supposed to be that you work. It's supposed to be that you manage the resources that have been brought to you. I don't mean, here, understand what I'm saying. I don't mean you don't have a job. Y'all know that, right? We're, we're, we're beyond that. I'm saying you don't have to strive. And I am saying that you shouldn't give Babylon 80 hours a week and then decide you're going to give God one hour a week and think that you're going to manage everything that he has. Can't get no help. Hey. Listen, I've believed a lie that I look more like fallen Adam than I do the resurrected Jesus. I have believed a lie that I look more like fallen Adam than I do the resurrected Jesus for most of my life because I've been expecting, oh, I'm just one bad day away from messing up and falling so far away. I'm one bad mistake away from doing this. And the whole time, that's me glorifying that sin nature as if it had more power than the blood of Jesus. And I'm, I, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to get a company of people to understand that when he looks at me, he doesn't look upon fallen Adam improved. He looks at me and sees the blood of Jesus that has taken away every stain. But watch this. The power of the Holy Spirit accompanies that blood, and it allows him to even remove every desire to be back into that sin nature. See, that's what I'm trying to get to. It's not just that we can say, oh, I'm the righteousness of God. I'm the righteousness. It's that you could live a life free from even wanting to fall back into sin because you understand that it's your desires that push you into sin, right? James, Hello? 
James said, it's my evil desire and the lust on the inside of me that draws me away to sin. And once it gives birth, it becomes death. So these desires, we have lived thinking we have to manage these sinful desires. Do you know how difficult that is for a teenage boy going through puberty? (laughs) They think they're on their way to hell 24-7, right? Because they can't get those thoughts out of their mind. They're trying to figure it out. Girls too. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? And and so we we didn't preach a gospel. Maybe they did where you went, but they didn't preach a gospel where I grew up that said, hey, you can eradicate that sinful nature. What they preached the gospel says, if you don't do this and you don't do that and you don't do that, then you won't have to deal with it. It's not going to be gone, but you're going to manage it. And ultimately, well, they, you know what they were doing? They were actually putting in front of me. They said, don't do this. Don't do that. And I'm like, well, I think I might want to do that. What do you... <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Because we thought if we'll show somebody sin, but why didn't we think about showing them the fact that Jesus' blood could completely eradicate those desires on the inside of us, and rebirth really means that I'm no longer the same person that I was. Nicodemus couldn't get it. Obviously, I haven't been able to get it either because I've struggled with condemnation for so much of my life because of these, these, these ideologies. And, and listen, you know, you hear me talk about this stuff. You, you don't really know how much I love my heritage. You, you don't really understand. You, you hear me preach about these systems that I came out of and all this stuff, but you don't know how I still weep for those places. You don't know how I, I still long for revival to come to those places where I know there's good men and women. And, and I, was, I was raised in these ideas that, that taught me how to love God. They just didn't, they, they didn't have the full revelation. And that's where I'm going. You understand that's how denominations are born. Though It's not that they have a full revelation. It's that they have a partial revelation and they stop right there and they build camp on their partial revelation. <sighs> There's a more excellent way. There is a more excellent way. God sees me as through the lens of the resurrected Jesus. I said this a while ago, but I want to repeat it. It would be a mean trick for the blood of Jesus to only be strong enough to help me manage my sin nature. It would be a mean trick for the blood of Jesus to only help me manage my sin nature. That would not be complete freedom. That would not be complete freedom. Can you imagine if God said, I want you to take the children of Israel out of Egypt, and then he talked about, he he went to Pharaoh and said, okay, here's where they're going, and I want you to surround them on both sides and they can't get through. Could you imagine a loving God doing that? No, but that's what we appropriate the blood of Jesus to, that that it comes in and a drop of his blood helps us to manage what we're doing so we don't realize complete freedom. But the Bible says that it is for freedom that he has set us free and that he who the son sets free is free indeed. Hallelujah. Complete freedom has been clouded by religion. Complete freedom has been clouded by religion. Okay, John 3.12, that's where I said I was going. John 3.12. If you're unable to understand and believe what I've told you about the natural realm, what will you do when I begin to unveil the heavenly realm? So, So here's the way I read that scripture. And this is just me. This is just me. Man. I've been so focused on this natural realm that there are things in the heavenly realm that he is yet to reveal to me. Remember, he's talking about spirit and he's talking about water. He's talking about the spirit wind. He's talking about the fact that, that John's baptism is, is, is different than what Nicodemus knows as a Pharisee and proselyte baptism. And I'm not going to go deep into that. But he says, how can you How can you understand things in the natural realm? How can you not understand those and expect to understand things in the heavenly realm? I I want you to catch this word that he uses, unveil. Unveil. The reason that it is so important for us to get these concepts of justification, righteousness, inheritance, and dominion is because these are gates into heavenly mysteries. 
These are gates into heavenly mysteries. Nicodemus would have known, he would have known about John's baptism, and he would have known about the prophecy of the Holy Spirit from Joel chapter 2. See, sometimes we read these things and we, we, we think about the Pharisees and we're like, oh, well, they just didn't know because Jesus was brand new. No, 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 no. They had been studying this law since they were children. And so they knew everything about it. It's just like when we talked last week about Nathaniel and Jesus references himself as Jacob's ladder because he knew that in little synagogue Sunday school, whatever it was that they had, they were talking about Jacob's ladder. Okay, so unveil. This word unveil right here, it's a powerful word. It literally means to uncover or bring revelation. So Jesus says that there are some things that I want to unveil to you, but you're not even catching what I'm saying in this natural realm. How are you going to get when I begin to unveil these crazy things? And then gives him just a glimpse and says, because the Son of Man is here and he's also in heaven. Can you imagine Nicodemus after Jesus just spent all this time and multiple times Nicodemus like, I don't understand, but I don't understand. Could you imagine what would happen when he says, I'm here and I'm there and you can't understand it right now? I... Have you ever done that? You ever just shut your Bible and just like, I, I, I don't even know. I don't even know. All right, let's go to Luke. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. Okay, let me give some context, and then we'll pick up at verse 25. This is Jesus right after resurrection. Two of his disciples, that's very important to understand, that's his disciples, are walking on the road to Emmaus, right? And, and so we know the, the, the story that they're walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. He comes and encounters them. They don't know who he is, um, you know, and, and ultimately they don't find out who he is until he breaks bread and gives, you know, break, breaks bread, thanks God for it, and, and gives it. And they're like, oh, yeah, I've seen that somewhere before. I know. Yeah. Okay. So watch this, though. I'm going to start at verse 25. They've been talking about, Jesus comes up and says, y'all look like you're explaining something real serious. And they're like, yeah, are you the only one who doesn't know what has happened? They just crucified, uh, you know, Jesus, and, and, well, they didn't say his name, but they, they crucified the prophet. And here, here's, here's language that's really interesting because this can mess with you. At the beginning of this story, it says that God prevented them from seeing who he was. But ultimately, that was really just playing out what they really believed in their head because of their language. They said, we had all thought that he was really the Lord. We had all thought that he was really the Lord, that he was the one who was going to come and save Israel. Okay, verse 25. Jesus said to them, why are you so thick-headed? Why do you find it so hard to believe every word that the prophets have spoken? Again, these guys know the word. Why do you find it so hard to believe every word that the prophets have spoken? Was it, wasn't it necessary for Christ the Messiah to experience all these sufferings and then afterward to enter into his glory? Now, I, I hear a little bit of aggravation there because he's like, I walked with you for three and a half years and I told you this was going to happen and then it happens and now you're like, what? I know y'all don't ever do that, right? Y'all don't, don't ever come to a place where he's told you exactly how to process things and then you're like, oh, that's what it meant, right? Okay. Verse 27, are you ready? Then he carefully unveiled to them. There's that word again. He carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself throughout the scripture. He started from the beginning and explained the writings of Moses and all the prophets showing how they wrote of him and revealed the truth about himself. As they approached the village, Jesus walked on ahead telling them he was going on to a distant place. They urged him to remain there and pleaded, stay with us, it will be dark soon. So Jesus went in. Jesus went with them to the village. Joining them at the table for supper, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. All 
at once their eyes were opened and they realized it was Jesus. Then suddenly in a flash, Jesus vanished from before their eyes. Stunned, they looked at each other and said, why didn't we recognize him? Didn't our hearts burn with the flames of holy passion while we walked beside him? He unveiled for us such profound revelation from the scriptures. They left at once and hurried back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples. When they found the 11 and the other disciples all together, they overheard them saying, it's really true. The Lord has risen from the dead. He even appeared to Peter. Then the two disciples told the others that had hap- what had happened to them on the road to Emmaus and how Jesus unveiled himself as he broke bread with them really fast. They were disciples who walked with Jesus and knew him to an extent. However, their eyes were still veiled. Three times the word unveiled is used right here. They walked with Jesus, but they were still having their eyes veiled. Are you with me? I'm almost done. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter three. I've told you for weeks when we started this whole journey, I told you in, 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 in very clear terms that if you're going to begin to understand the things of the kingdom and really understand the things of Jesus, it's going to happen by revelation of the Holy Spirit. It's what Jesus spoke to Judas. It's what Paul spoke to the Corinthian church, to the Roman church. You cannot get this with natural ears, natural eyes. It has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. Even the ministry that was characterized by chiseled letters on stone tablets came with a dazzling measure of glory. Though it produced death, the Israelites couldn't bear to gaze on the glowing face of Moses because of the radiant splendor shining from his countenance, a glory destined to fade away. Yet how much more radiant is this new and glorious ministry of the Spirit that shines from us? For it is for if the former ministry of condemnation was ushered in with a measure of glory, how much more does the ministry that imparts righteousness, come on, far excel in glory. What once was glorious no longer holds any glory because of the increasingly greater glory that has replaced it. The fading ministry came with a portion of glory, but now we embrace the unfading ministry of a permanent impartation of glory. Man, that's good. So then, with this amazing hope living in us, we step out in freedom and boldness to speak the truth. We are not like Moses, who used a veil to hide the glory to keep the Israelites from staring at him as it faded away. Their minds were closed and hardened, for even to this day, that same veil covers over their minds when they hear the words of the former covenant. The veil has not yet been lifted from them, for it is only eliminated when one is joined to the Messiah. There's an unveiling that has to happen. Remember, we've talked about living in a New Testament covenant with an Old Testament approach. He's trying to let us know that there, when we live in this place of condemnation, aside from the righteousness of God, our faces are veiled, and the only way that veil is removed is to completely be joined to the Messiah. The veil has not yet been lifted for them, for it is only eliminated when one is joined to the Messiah. So until now, whenever the Old Testament is being read, the same blinding comes over their hearts. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. And wherever he is, Lord, there is freedom. We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces, and with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another, and this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. All of that to say that we spend a whole lot of time 
with a veil over us, not really understanding who Jesus the Messiah is. And one of the things that I've realized in my life is that I was veiled to the complete work of the blood of Jesus because I thought it just helped me manage my sin nature. Here's three things that happen. He replaces the fading glory with one that does not fade away. The Holy Spirit is wanting to get us to see clearly that there is a glory that does not fade away. They looked at Moses in an Old Testament covenant and it was going away. But he wants you to understand that in this New Testament covenant with Jesus and partnership with the Holy Spirit, the glory does not fade away. It is forever. The second thing is that it removes the veil that religion has placed over our eyes that keeps us bound to works-based intimacy. You cannot work hard enough to get closer to God. You cannot do more things in the church to get closer to God. It is a heart connection that has to take place that brings you into this idea that Rebecca was talking about, that we would gaze into the eyes of fire, of the beautiful one Jesus, that we would set our hearts to believe everything that he has told us, and through revelation of the Holy Spirit, we begin to live our lives from that place. The third thing is that real connection to Jesus as Messiah removes the veil and allows transfiguration into the image of Jesus. Come on. That word, that word right there, transfiguration, it's literally the same word that was used when he was transfigured on the mountain. Oh, well, that was just left for Jesus. No, the Old Testament said that Moses' countenance was transfigured. I'm telling you that there's a place in devotion, there's a place in this life of the unveiled Holy Spirit that can transfigure what was on the inside of you. That's good news because some of the junk that was on the inside of me, I thought I was just managing but he sent his son not to help me manage that, but to eradicate it so that I could be transformed into the image of Christ. Man, I feel this. I feel this. I'm done. I want to tell you what I'm believing for 2019. This is what I believe the Lord is saying. I want you to hear me clearly. If you haven't heard, heard one thing that I've said this far, I want you to listen to this. I believe this is the word of the Lord. I believe it was all the word of the Lord, but I really want you to listen to this. Are you ready? I believe God is opening our eyes to concepts that are going to unveil some mysteries of heaven that we have been waiting for. I believe he's going to uncover some stuff. He's going to unveil. I believe in 2019, we are going to start experiencing some finalies. What has been veiled will finally be unveiled. What I could not let go of, finally it will be gone. The hurt that has incapacitated me, finally will be healed. Finally, that son or daughter will be saved. Finally, I'll have heaven's perspective. Finally, I'll be free from the guilt of past mistakes. I want to ask you today, what is God trying to unveil for you finally? I believe it's the year. I believe it's the year. You can choose to walk around with the junk or you can remove the veil and finally really get set free if you want to be free. I believe that what he's doing is showing you some concepts that you have not been free. I have not been completely free because I've been trying to manage a sin nature that he came to completely remove. I do not have to live my life in fear of falling. Why? Because he said that he would keep me from falling, that he would present me faultless. It's his job. It's not my job. Finally, finally, you're going to begin to see things turn. Finally, you're going to begin to see those prophetic words that have been spoken over your life come to pass. Finally, you're going to begin to see those children that you've been interceding for weeping under the power of the Holy Spirit. Finally, finally, you're going to begin to see things like you've never seen them before. He's going to unveil He's going to uncover. Finally, you're going to get rid of cynicism. I'm telling you, I'm going to begin speaking in just a few weeks about sweeping some corners and getting some things clean and getting some things ready that have to go. And religion and cynicism are two of the corners that we've got to sweep completely so that we can be set to see exactly the way that he wants to see it. I'm tired of looking at myself through fallen humanity when there's a more excellent way. There's a more excellent way. Finally, 
2019 is going to be the year that finally things turn. Finally they turn. I'm not saying it's going to be the year that you step into your worldwide ministry. Because as a matter of fact, can I help you? Let, let me prophesy to you. I know you've been prophesied to that you've got worldwide ministry. So you're not ever going to have a worldwide ministry if you don't ever see Jesus correctly. Now, I know don't, don't, no, nobody ever gets that prophetic word, right? You're not going to line up for that one. But I, I'm just going to tell you the truth. You can get as many prophetic words as you want, but if it doesn't change the inside of your heart and you see him correctly and you remove the veil of religion and all of that other junk and, 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 and your unhealthy goals... It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But when you see him, I promise you, everything will fall into place, and you'll begin moving in things that you never had even thought were possible. I want to tell you that finally you can start moving in signs and wonders. Finally, we can start moving in signs and wonders. It's an inheritance. Finally, when we can begin to see ourselves that he's not waiting for us to get ourselves right so that we can get put into the game. He has made us right, and he is the game, and we just get in and run with him. Oh, man. Finally. Finally. Come on, what is it that, that you finally need to be done? Come on, I want to prophesy that finally abortion will be done in Kentucky. Come on, I want, to, I want to prophesy that finally abortion will be done in Kentucky. I want to prophesy that finally America will turn their hearts back to God. That's the answer. The answer is not in the White House. It doesn't matter who we vote in if the church doesn't stand and take our place. So I want to say finally the church will get their voice back. Yeah. Come on, what are you believing God for? What are the finalies that you're believing God for? Ryan, come on up here, please. We're going to play softly. I know... We don't do that a whole lot anymore. But I just believe there's an opportunity today. My goodness. I want to say finally you're going to get joy back. I want to say finally you're going to get joy back. I want to say finally you're going to let him be your protector. I want to say, finally, you're going to stop striving to try and make it happen on your own. Come on, just close your eyes right where you are. Just begin to ask the Lord, what is it that you want to uncover? What is it that you want to unveil? What is it that you want to unveil? Maybe for some of you, it's a, finally, my marriage is going to be what I thought it would be. Finally, I can stop struggling with all of the junk that I thought I had to manage. Finally. Finally, the veil has been removed. It's been uncovered. Finally, I want to say finally the generational curse can be broken. Finally, the lies that have been spoken over us can be broken. Finally. Finally. Finally, I'm going to see you. I'm going to see you more clearly. Finally. Finally. I'm going to know what it is to really be born again with new DNA that doesn't help me manage those things that I thought were there. Come on. I don't want to preach a gospel. I don't want to preach a gospel about a God that helps you manage your addictions, that helps you manage 
your sin nature, that helps you manage the junk that you think you have no control over. I want you to know that there is a God who has complete freedom for you. Complete freedom. I want to declare to you that you can move past being a bad day of falling right back into your old life. It can be eradicated completely. He's wanting to unveil some stuff. Come on, ask him, what is it that you want to unveil? What is it that you want to unveil? What is it that you want to unveil? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come on, if, if, if you're one of those people and you say, I, I need some finalies to take place in my life, I want you to stand right where you are. I need some finalies to break through. I, I need some finalies to break through. Come on, there's, there's no judgment. Listen, I'm telling you, it's a prophetic word from the Lord. Finally, things are going to turn. Finally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, just lift your hands where you are. Just lift your hands where you are right now and just say, I receive. I receive. You're not waiting on anything. This is new perspective from heaven. This is new perspective from heaven. Come on, let the Holy Spirit just sweep in here. I feel him in this room. I feel him in this room. He's come to set the captives free. He's come to set at liberty those that are bruised. He's come to open the eyes of the blind. Finally, finally we can walk in freedom. Finally we can walk in freedom. Finally, we can move past. Finally, we can move past. Come on, open your mouth right now. Open your mouth and say, I want to see you clearly. I want to see you clearly. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. He just wants to open your eyes to some things. And finally, it's going to happen. Finally, it's going to happen. I'm praying for mindsets to be shifted right now in the name of Jesus. I'm asking for Holy Spirit to come right now and begin to turn thoughts of striving and thoughts of not being good enough. Turn it around right now. Thoughts of it's always going to be this way. I bind the voice of the enemy right now and I say it will not always be this way. I speak by the power of the Holy Spirit today and I say finally it can be changed. Finally, it can be changed. Come on, just open your mouth where you are. New perspective, an unveiling, an unveiling. He wants to unveil himself to you. He wants to unveil himself to you. What have we cloaked our eyes with? Come on, just ask the Lord right now. What have I cloaked my eyes with? What is it that I have cloaked my eyes with that finally needs to be removed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's here, he's here, he's here. He's here. Finally. <laughs> yeah. Finally, I break with destructive behavior. Finally, I break with destructive mindsets. Finally, I break with isolation. Finally, I break with the lies of the enemy. And I hear the voice of the Lord. And I understand that he doesn't see me as fallen Adam. He sees me as resurrected Christ. He sees me through the lens of the resurrected Christ. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, come on. Come on, open your mouth right now. Open your mouth. Just begin to thank him like the final is already there. Can you do that? Can you just thank him in advance like the final has already taken place? God, I thank you. I thank you that not one of your words has fallen to the wayside, that not one of the things that you've spoken over me and my family has fallen short, God, but you watch over that to performance. So today we say thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you. Without reservation, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, just lift your voice right now. Lift your voice and begin to thank him that the finalies are on the way. Just begin to thank him that the finalies are on the way. And I want to say this. I want to say this. Finally, 
in the insignificant year because there are so many people who think that 19 is insignificant because they can't wait to get to 20. But I believe that 19 is going to be the year that finally sets us free so that we can celebrate what happens in 20. I want to say that this year is going to be so significant in your life that you're finally going to see what it is to live from glory to glory, faith to faith, and strength to strength. You don't have to wait for 20 to get here. You don't have to wait for anything else finally the time is now finally finally thank you for joining us for this week's podcast from awakening church you can find us online at awakeningky.com